Thank you, Kevin. Let me just uh, mention one announcement that Kevin made, and that is uh, next Sunday evening at 6 p.m., we will be here at the Fieldhouse uh, giving information about our church and our future. Uh, I'm going to share a vision, our story, uh, our denomination, um, and <clears throat> I think that it'll be a blessing to you. If you are, have never taken the class, and I especially want our, our teenagers to come, uh, if you've been baptized but never took the class, then come next Sunday evening, and, um, and we'll have refreshments at uh, 6 p.m., so uh, it'll be a good time of fellowship together, food and fellowship uh, next Sunday evening, and information. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's look at Romans chapter 6, and I want to read verse 13 and 14. I'm going to end with these two verses, but um, I'll begin and end at the same place. Romans chapter 6, verse 13 and 14. Do not present your members that is the members of your body, like your hands and feet and eyes and so on, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 14, For, and here's the basis of it, sin will not have dominion over you. Since you're not under law, but under grace. Those of you who've followed us these past uh, weeks and months saw that we, Paul has been talking about justification by faith. How that we are made righteous in a single moment and accepted before God through Christ. Starting in chapter 5, he began to point out the benefits or the results of being justified by faith. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have. And then he, he starts naming the things we have. We have peace. We have access to God. We have joy even when there's problems. In verse 5, we have the Holy Spirit. And in verse 10, we have a, a certainty. In Romans 5, 10, he says, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, we will be saved by His life, that is, His risen life. If His death, verse 10 says, Romans 5.10, reconciled us to God, 
then what will his life do for us? That is, his, his continued... When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised as our shepherd, as our high priest, as our intercessor, as our provider. His death did so much, but what will his living do? And Paul, see, he's talking about the results of justification. One of them is certainty and assurance. And to illustrate this certainty, he brings up our union with Adam. And that starts in verse 12 and goes through verse 21. And just a, as a review from the last couple of weeks, remember that our, result, our relationship with Adam has brought into our life what? Sin and death. I mean, and, and the way he puts it in verse Romans 5, 17, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned, see, it brought a death that reigns. It doesn't, death doesn't suggest that we follow it. It dictates. It reigns. If, if that relationship with Adam is so powerful and brought such an impact, Paul's argument is much more. How much more is the new Adam, the risen Christ, going to impact your life? That's his argument. He's introducing the idea of certainty, and he's illustrating it with, do you think Adam brought the, the possibility of death or the certainty of death? He brought the certainty. Well, how much greater certainty comes with the risen Christ whom you have received? He's talking here to Christians. It is absolutely assured. Paul's argument is our union with Christ brings even greater power than our union with Adam and will thus ultimately triumph over all sin and even death. When Adam sinned and death followed, sin and death did not become optional, but inevitable. Now, in the same way, Christ has locked you in, is Paul's argument. In fact, he says, now that you're a Christian, uh, if you sin, Romans 5.20, the law came to it just define or increase to point out the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. If you sin as a Christian, you're a true Christian, God will turn up grace. He will simply increase the grace. Because Christ will triumph. Christ's life in you, which he's calling grace because it's undeserved, he says that will just increase in order to bring you out of that failure. <clears throat> so he, he starts out in chapter 6, which is connected. Context is the power of this 
of this argument, context with Adam especially. He starts chapter 6 by saying, what shall we say then? Chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If, if, if a Christian sins and he finds out, well, God just gave me more grace to get out of it. Well, why don't I just sin and get a lot of grace? That's his, that's his, he, he's probably run into this as he has preached. And, and Paul says, how can that be? Don't you know what's happened to you? You've been baptized into Christ. That is, you, not water baptism, but you've been immersed or joined fully into Christ himself, the person of Christ. Christianity is Jesus. It's not a rule book. It is your relationship to Jesus Christ. And when you become a Christian, you, your spirit and Christ's spirit are joined together. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, He that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. And Paul uses the word in chapter 6, in verse 1, he says, What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin? The word continue in Greek is the word which means to live as in a home. It's actually the word translated usually to abide. You know what the word abode is it's where you abide you abide in an abode <laughs> well the idea here is can the christian be at home can he abide in sin now let me ask you something uh can a christian sin You know the answer to that one. <laughs> we all know a Christian can sin. In fact, to be honest, sometimes some Christians are worse than people that are not Christians. Obviously a Christian can sin, but here's the difference. Can he make a home? Can he be comfortable? You know how you are in your home. That's where you kick your shoes off, you let your hair down, you walk around in your underwear. <laughs> I don't, okay? I always wear a suit and tie, and, but I know some people do. Have you ever stayed with somebody in their home and they say something like this, just make yourself at home. If you, if you get hungry, there's the refrigerator. You need a shower, take, there's the shower. Just make yourself at home. Not really. You can never make yourself at home because you don't belong. It's not yours. And that's what Paul is saying. He says you can't make a home. It's not your identity. It's not who you are. Can you visit? Can you sin? Oh, yes, and you might even live there for a while. But you never feel comfortable. And you never get like, okay, this is who I am. This is where I'm going to live. 
You never feel that way. Uh, like you, I sin, and but I grieve. And I'm very uncomfortable. And I, sometimes I stay a while in it, but I always come out of it. I always repent. I always apologize to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm embarrassed by it. Now, today, you've got some people who want to make peace and be at home and be identified with the worst expressions of perversion that's outlined in the Bible. And they want to normalize it. And while they call themselves Christians, they are at home in their sinfulness. Jeremiah 6.15 says, Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. They, did, they weren't embarrassed. They didn't hide. They flaunted it. They come out of the closet. They march on Main Street. They're proud. That is not a Christian. When you sin as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in you. Christ is in you. Christ cannot be comfortable with sin, your sin. So how can we? Don't you know, he says in verse 3, don't you know what's happened to you? You've been immersed into Christ in His death because Jesus died for you and God reckoned you to have died. And in His resurrection, He's quickened you into life. So he says in Romans 6, 4, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. That is, he paid the penalty and God reckoned us as dead on the cross to have died for our sins. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too should walk in newness of life. So this is what we call the doctrine of sanctification. We've talked about justification in chapters 1 to 4. And really, here Paul is introducing this idea of sanctification. That is, the inner transformation of the Christian into a likeness to Christ who dwells within him. Sanctification flows from justification and is the result of it. But sanctification is different from justification. In fact, there's two different words, righteousness and holiness. Two different Greek words, dikaios and hagiosmos. Righteousness and holiness. Justification, sanctification. Let me give you uh, some differences between justification and sanctification. Here's one. Justification is instantaneous, but sanctification is gradual. You're not gradually justified. Justification is a verdict. It's a decree made by God when you accept Christ, you are justified. 
All your sins are gone and you are given legal standing before God. Sanctification is God's work in you over time to, to produce humility, to produce compassion, to produce likeness to Christ. Justification is instantaneous. Sanctification is gradual. Here's number two. Justification is total. It's perfect. It is finished. You can't add to it or take from it. Sanctification is partial and ongoing. You're not just... Justification is such that you will never be more justified than you are the moment you become a Christian. Sanctification is such that you may continually increase or even decrease it. Number three, distinction between the two. Justification is primarily rooted in the death of Christ. He paid the penalty for us. Sanctification is produced by the risen life of Christ, His resurrection. Do you see that in Romans 6, 4, and 5? We were buried with Him by baptism into death, or we were placed into His death. So as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, as He was raised from the dead, spiritual life is a resurrection. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly be in a resurrection like His. In other words, Paul is saying, if you've been justified, you will certainly be sanctified. Number four, justification is our legal standing before God. But sanctification is our actual condition before men. Number five, justification is our salvation. That's, that's how we get saved. But sanctification is evidence of it. Amen? You don't, go, you don't get saved... By being sanctified, you show evidence. You get saved by being justified by faith in a single moment of time when you put faith in Christ. But then sanctification flows out of that and is proof that it is so. That's why Paul says, how can we make our home in sin? How can... We have such powerful effect from Adam, but in Christ, we have a much more powerful effect. There is no way to be a Christian without the beginnings of sanctification and the increase of it throughout life. Number six difference. Justification takes us to heaven. It's the basis on which we go to heaven when we die. Sanctification puts heaven in us by the Holy Spirit. You ever heard that hymn, uh, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That's sanctification. 
In prayer, you have these sweet visitations of God's presence. In reading His Word, these insights tumble over themselves into your little human pygmy brain. These, These wonderful blessings that flow as heaven is pressing into your mind and body and soul. But justification is you now through Christ with the merit to enter the very presence of God in heaven. But sanctification brings the anointing of God down upon you. Number seven, justification is unchanging. It is perfect and permanent. But sanctification is imperfect and subject to degrees. Subject to increase or decrease. Justification is of the whole man. It's perfect. Sanctification, here's here's one of our problems. We tend to compartmentalize. Uh, and you, you may, let's say you have, that you're a committed Christian, you go to church every Sunday, even if it snows, you find your way there in your four-wheel drive. They pass the basket, and you faithfully tithe. I'm talking to some young men. But secretly, You have a lust problem. But you try to put it out of your mind. Or let's say that you're a leader, maybe a teacher, and outwardly it all seems well. But you have an anger problem. And maybe no one knows, but your wife or your kids or your husband. See, we compartmentalize. And we tend to look at all those areas where, okay, I got it together. Well, I do have that area, but yeah, we write that off. Jesus does not write it off. Here's what sanctification is. And I don't think we have this on the screen, but I'll read it to you. It's in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, totally, holy. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's whole sanctification. That's full devotion. No area is left out. And he says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. This is not something the church can get into. We we don't know enough. And uh, people who love you probably don't know how. But I tell you, somebody who does know enough, and he does know how. Jesus is very skilled at sanctifying his people 
Hallelujah. And by the way, wives, I wouldn't try to sanctify the husband. That usually does not work. I'd leave that to the surgeon, the great physician, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, husbands, you can sanctify your wife. Just be yourself. She'll, get, she'll grow in grace, I guarantee you. <laughs> somebody, somebody said, uh, I think it's Martin Luther, he said the greatest, the greatest teacher, the greatest school for sanctification is marriage. <laughs> you know what? I, I agree with that. When I was growing up, I mean, I didn't get married. I was about 23. I never remember losing my temper. Not even once. All through grammar school, high school, I never lost my temper. With my parents, my older sister, when I got married, it's like, who is this person? The... the the mask was taken off. I didn't, and Jan used to say, you never had a temper until we got married. And I'd say, yeah, you brought it out. <laughs> and it's just Jesus bringing it out. We don't know enough about ourselves to sanctify ourselves. The great surgeon Jesus will operate on your heart. Give him time and trust his grace. He will bring you out. But justification is unchanging. It is perfect. Sanctification is imperfect. And it takes these compartmentalized and even secret areas and brings them under the umbrella of the will of God. What a Savior! And remember what Paul said. He said that first Thessalonians 5, 24, He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Why? Because you're not talking about just the possibility of death in Adam. You're talking about the inevitability, the certainty. You're not talking about just the possibility of holiness and sanctification in Christ. You're talking about the certainty of it, the inevitability of it, and the greater power of it. All right. Now let's look at verse 13 and 14. That was my introduction to my sermon, but I promise it'll be brief. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God, and notice, as those who have been brought from death to life. You're not presenting something that does not have life in it. It's not like something you can't do. There's life. He's talking to Christians here. He said, present your hands, your feet, your eyes. Let them be useful instruments to God. Why? Because you've been brought to life. There's life pulsating within you. 
Second, he says, for sin, verse 14, will not have dominion over you. Now, if I've understood Romans 5 and 6 correctly, we've plugged it into the context. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? He, because he's saying Christ is the greater Adam. He will have greater impact. There's a certainty about it. And he's, when he says sin will not have dominion over you, he's not saying don't let sin have dominion. He's saying it won't. It's not an exhortation. It's a prediction. He's, he's predicting your future as a Christian. Sin will not have dominion over you. You can write that over the, the entrance to your home. Sin will not have dominion over me. You can, you can say that in the middle of your sinning. Oh. If you've understood me right here, and I've understood Paul right, and I'm pretty sure I have, he is saying, he is making a prophecy over every Christian who's received Christ that the power of the risen Christ who is in you and by His Spirit, His risen authority, He will make sure that the sin that so often besets us will in the end will not have the victory. But He will have the victory. Glory to God. <laughs> I said glory to God. Amen. Now, one final thing. Notice, sin will not have dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. And what that means is there's something that even the law could not do. That, that the Spirit of Christ in you, which he calls grace, it will accomplish. Law is external. And many times written by men. All kinds of laws. Sometimes written by parents. Nothing wrong with restraint, but I'm just telling you, grace is greater than law when it comes to sanctification. And he says, the, whole, the reason all of this works is because you're not under law, you're under grace. Grace comes down like you're under it. It presses on you. It presses so that you, are, you cannot be at home in sin. Did you all happen to see in the paper or hear on the news about the man in Owasso? He bought a, a reused, a restored couch. And he got it home and it felt lumpy. And he thought, I thought they were supposed to have fixed this couch. And his daughter said, well, let me look underneath here, Dad. And she, they turned the pillows up and, and they, it had a zipper on it. And they pulled out. They found clumps of cash $43,000. <laughs> Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear that? $43,000. And, 
And he started thinking, man, I can put a new roof on. I can have some money for retirement. I can get my car fixed. So many things that I can do with $43,000. And he thought, I better check and see if it's legal to keep it. So he did. And you know what? It was legal. They said, you buy it, you got it. He checked with the law. They got home, but he said, started bothering me. So he said, I ended up taking it back. Next few days, went back to the store and told them, I returned the money. And when I read that, I thought, that man's a Christian. I'll bet you anything he's a Christian. Now, they didn't say it in the paper, but or, or on the NBC News. That's where I first heard it. It's, interna- it's national news. And I thought, I'll bet you he's a Christian. But then I read when I got, got online and started looking, they, they interviewed him and he said, well, I'm a born-again Christian. And he said, I just couldn't live with it. And I thought, man, that is exactly right. See, we're not under law. The law, he was cleared. He was good to go with the law. Except that the law does not dictate to me my ethic. It's the risen Christ lifting, pressing, guiding, loving interceding, sending of the Spirit. And it's so powerful that it will overcome. It'll make a poor man return $43,000. That's how strong it is. Ultimately, this is exactly what Paul is saying. There's a certainty about the Christian faith and there's a certainty about your future and your faith that you can just step back and say, praise God. He's the Savior. He's the one that's got to save me. He's the one that's got to change me. He's, got, he's the one who has to help me because there's no way, there's no law can be passed to, to do it for me. Only the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Amen. All right, ushers, you prepare to come and let's worship this risen Christ uh, with our uh, tithes and offerings this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for such rich promises. Thank you that you have uh, given us such sweet grace and such powerful grace that you have changed our lives forever. Uh, May you be praised today and honored. And throughout this week, help us, I pray. Give us more grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.